Hi, Eric. Hi, Jane. Welcome to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We're really excited about today's interview with our favorite clients from Vanderbilt Health's affiliated network, not to be confused with VUMC, My Southern Health, and the other initiatives that are happening on the consumer side at Vanderbilt. Megan Proust and Mallory Yoder are very instrumental in the population health initiatives of VAN, also not to be confused with VHAN, it's VAN. Uh, Megan and Mallory will talk about that as well. Eric, what what are some of the things that you were most excited about hearing from Megan and Mallory in our interview this week? You know, it was a great interview and it, it had a real sweep to it, right? We, they talked about where the ball is going and the kind of population health uh, value-based care space, um, what it takes to build a successful team, how someone comes to have a love for parrots as household pets. I mean, it really, it really did have a lot of, lot of ground that we covered. There's one thing that really stood out to me, and you know, we talk most about population health and value-based care, and really, the big punchline that Megan shared was this idea of this really is going to be the a big part of everyone's life. And now is the time to make sure that as healthcare marketers, that we're getting involved in helping shape what value-based care and population health looks like through the lens of marketing and communication, because what happens today will be the building blocks for the future compared to an environment where say, um, as, as marketers, we, responded to what's happening on the ground, but really kind of building the shape of what's to come is the real opportunity. And it was a really inspiring interview, I thought. I thought it was good. One of the things that's interesting to me about the work that they're doing too is for a number of healthcare marketers, I think they struggle to get to the table when their organizations are shaping population health initiatives. But the skill set that marketing and communications professionals offer is really critical in guiding change management towards a more quality and value focused approach to care. Um, and so you, they need you and your organization needs your help in providing strategic communication that align providers and align your network around a common mission and a common goal. And so I think that's the message that Megan shares that and Mallory that's really important um, in that you should be at the table or chances are your organization may not get population health initiatives off the ground in a really successful way like Van has. Yeah, it's great. It's great perspective. That kind of hand in glove with knowing your audience, like what what population health and value-based care looks like to the clinical audience is really, really different to what that, how that's manifest for a consumer audience and, and how it should be manifest to, to a consumer audience. So really great insights. It's a really great interview. Let's get right to it and go to the interview with Megan and Mallory. It's going to be good. We're excited to have you guys on. Thank you so much for doing this. We've, I know personally, I've learned a lot about what population health actually means that they don't teach you in school and in public health classes. So I'm excited to have you guys on because you have a really unique perspective on where volume drivers and where value-based care is headed. Megan, when we spoke at HMPS, your view is that all of that needs a rebrand. Can you share a little bit about what that means for people who didn't listen to you speak at HMPS? 
Yeah. Um, and thank you for having us. And I think, you know, Mallory and I really share a lot of the same thoughts on this. So, um, we will, um, volley back and forth, but, um, you know, we've worked in the space of value-based care and population health for a couple of years now. And Vanderbilt's a really progressive organization. Um, having um, dedicated resources like us, a marketing and communications team toward the value-based and clinical innovation work of the medical center now for close to five years. Um, and it's really taken a couple of years for us to really figure it out and then figure out what the message should be to our various audiences. And I think it's really been in the last year where we have both figured out what this work is about, and then also similarly on the flip side, figured out what the problem is that um, value-based care work has um, when we go out and try to basically um, convince people to join us. Uh, It's a change management exercise. And um, some of the work that, um, you know, gets done when government programs are put together, all with the best intentions, but the semantics around things, I think, really make a big difference. And we get really excited about pop health and value-based care. And and I think if you had, you know, marketing and communications professionals at the table for the design of um, these kind of change management rollout programs... I think you'd get um, much more uh, buy-in from the audiences that need to be bought in. You see that in COVID, really, right? Um, So many public health initiatives. um, We have one here in our own backyard in Nashville where, from the start, our wonderful infectious disease folks and public health folks, folks said, we need marketers and communicators at the table to help us package and present this critical uh, you know, the change behavior that we need to see, we need those folks at the table to help us do something interesting, compelling, catchy, memorable, um, and clear. And you've seen tons of great creative campaigns come out of that. And uh, we, we built one here in Nashville. And uh, I think that combined with what we've learned these last couple of years on value-based care have all come together for us to have that light bulb moment just to say, gosh, this is just not packaged right. It's not presented right. It's not positioned right. And so much of that is your first impression. And it's formulated a first impression that we really got to work on. Yeah. And Megan talks about change management a lot. And I think that we have to help people see themselves in this work and in this transformation. And sometimes when you talk population health, and the alphabet soup of acronyms that come along with it, it's difficult sometimes for people to, to find their place in that. Or they think, oh, population health is largely clinical, or it's just, you know, an office or a department within a larger organization that's separate from the other initiatives that are taking place. But in reality, I mean, it, this is work that we all have to support and support together. And I think that that's been a big change for us um, and and the team that Megan and I are on, the business engagement strategies team, is really helping to connect the dots across different teams and different departments and think about how can we come together to support population health and include, you know, multidisciplinary approach in a variety of backgrounds, including marketing and communications. So often we see 
you know, organizational strat plan gets kind of mapped over to marketing and, and kind of marketing plan, communication plan developed, developed from that. Megan, you raise a great point about kind of the opportunity to be at the table from the beginning. Talk to us a little bit about how you guys have been shaping the approach and, and, and having a seat at the table from the beginning and what that's meant for your efforts. Mm, it's hard. You know, these are one of the, it's one, it's, it's definitely one of those chicken or egg things. I don't know what came first other than it was the perfect mix of problems to solve and capabilities to solve them and that have really resulted in where we are and the impact that we're having. So uh, we uh, started this, the scope of work that we had uh, initially with the, you know, if you will, population health engine of Vanderbilt was very narrowly defined. We were working on physician communications for the Vanderbilt Health Affiliated Network. Very small team, very small scope of work, cranking out newsletters, and you know, largely um, in a position of these are the key things we need to tell to tell the network. And here, you guys go write them. Very reactive, and I think just over time. Um, you know, because we were able to add more and more people to our team that had a broader skill set that came from a strategy and creative background. And just overall, we all like to create things. We like to build things. We, we want to know about the problem and then we want to come up with a solution with the skills that we have. Um, I think over time, it just grew from there where, you know, increasingly, we've just been brought in at earlier and earlier points in the development of direction, strategy, key initiatives, all those things. And uh, now, uh, you know, the blessing and the curse of it is that we're involved in almost everything. <laughs> so, <It's> true. True. <laughs> But I think that's where we would like to be. We, we, I don't think anyone on the team is, uh, enjoys being an order taker or someone that's just informed. Uh, we all want to, you know, bring our consultative and strategy skills to the table and we all, um, see ways to make things better. And, um, we've been empowered and able to do that. And honestly, if you think about it, the transformation engine of an academic medical center should be the flattest and most inclusive and collaborative part of that organization, because we really should look like a commercial business that is rapidly growing, changing, expanding, piloting, testing. And in order to do that, you can't have a hierarchical structure where only certain people are valued and 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 uh, empowered to do anything. We work with a part of the organization that is super flat. We don't have to call the doctors doctors. Uh, you know, we are we don't have letters after our names like some people do, but we are equally as valuable um, when it comes to putting together really good plans and strategies. And I think that's uh, that's the dream. What we all really wanted in our careers at this, this time. No, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, you have to present short-term wins. And I think that was really important for our team that, to Megan's point, trying to get a seat at the table from starting from writing newsletter communications to where our team is now, it's not an overnight success, right? So we had to meet people in the middle, find that middle ground and that compromise opportunity 
And then you kind of prove yourself. And and part of that is through keeping up with what's going on and be able to speak their language in, in a way that they understand, um, knowing what's happening on the clinical side, what's happening with care delivery transformation. I mean, Megan and our team, we really stay current with what's going on. Um, and we don't have letters after our name, but some days we feel like, you know, clinicians, it feels like. But I think that that's been really important. Those short-term wins stack up. And then when you find a willing partner who is willing to take on risk and try something new and different than what's been done before in that space, and then you can show the rewards of that, once you have a few of those in your back pocket, I feel like you're, you know, you're kind of good to go from there. And that's been really important for our team. That's great. One of the things I've always admired about you guys in the past couple of years that we've had the pleasure of working with you is your ability to get things done so quickly. I think so many healthcare marketers talk about suffer so long and it's hard to actually get motivated around doing it. I'm sure you guys expected me to ask this question, but Megan, what are some of the skills from your perspective that are most important that you continue to hone that you look for in your team? And then Mallory, you are so critical in executing all of the great plans that you guys are, are running. I'd love to hear from your perspective, how BAN as an organization empowers you to do some of that great work. Well, from my perspective, uh, a key uh, ingredient in our success has been hiring really well. And we're really careful about the types of people that we welcome on the team because it's not for everyone. We're actually hiring right now. And the biggest thing that we look for is, you know, people looking for a professional challenge. Not everyone is. We are not a team of complacency or sitting idle, waiting for people to ask us to do something. We are the people that contribute in meetings. We raise our hand. We take on stretch projects. We um, are looking for our daily work to be professional development for us. And it's not, um, that's not what everyone's looking for. And that's totally fine. Um, but, you know, Mallory is in a master's degree program and, you know, all, I'm, I'm done with my master's degree, but I feel like I learn every single day at my job and I feel like I'm getting paid to go to school in a lot of respects. And that's what keeps me motivated. It's what motivates every single person on our team. We're naturally very curious and um, creative and we work really well together. We all complement each other one and um, really well with our strengths and our weaknesses. We're not afraid to ask for help. We're not afraid to call uncle and say, I don't know what to do on this. We can be really vulnerable with one another. And that I think together makes us stronger. So when someone, when oftentimes we're the one that identifies the need for uh, something quick to be done. Um, and then at the same time, we're often the ones that say, let's figure out a way to get it done because it motivates us to feel like we have identified a problem and proposed a solution and tested that solution. It might not work. It might not be perfect. It might take us a bunch of tries to, you know, really get that long-term solution in place, but all of us love the opportunity to create something, see it through to a pilot and then tweak it from there. We're builders. And um, that's exciting for us. Maybe just a quick follow on from me about building that ideal team. Any kind of tips or 
insights for the rest of us as we're out kind of searching for the ideal candidate to, to build? Like, how do you go about finding that person who's looking for the professional challenge and, and maybe helping helping people weed themselves out or self-select if that's not what they're looking for? Uh, I mean, I'll tell you my one of my secret uh, approaches is cover letters. If you don't take the time to pitch yourself to me in a cover letter, you're probably not going to take the time, you know, to get invested in a product and in a solution. So if you are truly interested in doing this work, then you will truly take the time to write a cover letter or an email to me that is very specific to what you're trying to do and what we're trying to do. Um, And, you know, obviously I come from a communications background, so I'm a little bit partial to good writers and Good writers are always good to have on your team too. So, good stuff. And we're also a a very celebratory team, and so this is, I'm sure, supplemental to the work, but it makes the work even even better and and more joyful. We just have such a great rapport with one another. We celebrate birthdays and you know baby showers and graduations, and we're there for someone if they're sick or if they've have a family member in the hospital, you know, I always tell people when they ask, you know, what's your dream job? Well, I think I'm doing it. I'm in love with population health. I love my team, but I also work a job that gives me the balance and the celebratory joy that I love. So if I want to go kickbox after work or hit up happy hour with some friends, I have the time to do that. I also know that Megan and our team, they're going to celebrate with me cry with me if I need it. And that makes being at work even more fun and exciting and and makes me want to work harder. That's just me personally, but I always feel like that's something important, especially these days with COVID. We're all working virtually, we're all remote and being able to engage with one another is, it's really critical. Um, and, And I think that Jane, to your first question on execution, the team dynamic is a huge piece of that. And I was literally having this conversation this morning with a friend um, who actually works at a church and they're doing some restructuring. And I said that, you know, when you have a team and it's not like a me situation, the amount and the type of work that you can do is incredible. I have, we all rely on each other and our different expertise and our skill sets to contribute to, you know, a product or an implementation of a product. We couldn't do it without each other. Um, and I think that is such a critical part of our success. Um, and then I think the other thing that it, it takes some trial and error sometimes, you know, specifically for an example, over the past year and a half, we've developed and launched uh, four toolkits for the network um, on different clinical areas of transformation. And there's been a lot of key findings from start to finish with those toolkits that have helped us. Um, and executing the deliverable more efficiently and effectively. And part of that is engaging the right people at the right time. So making sure that the key leaders are involved from the very beginning, they kind of help clear the path so that those of us who are really working can kind of, you know, pave our own way there, but they kind of get out of the way, they help support us in our efforts. And then we bring in the right people for review or deployment or, you know, whatever the component may be. Um, And that's been really critical for us. No one feels left out. Um, Everyone feels involved at the right time. 
just to ask a, a, a follow on to, to that piece about kind of connecting with the right people at the right time. From a leadership standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. I'm curious if there's any insight or perspective that you would both share about the consumer side of this. And, and, and where, I'm, where I'm coming from is the belief that when we think about population health in particular, there's, at least in my mind, a bit of a shift from serving up things that people are looking for to helping people start to look for or think about some of the things they should be looking for or thinking about. Um, any kind of takeaways from all the work that you guys have done on this front that, that the rest of us can learn from? Well, I'll, I'll start, but Mallory can speak to this in greater detail. But, um, you know, the way that um, we have worked with our Vanderbilt Health Affiliated Network to um, prioritize the preventive care and the population health measures that are critical to how the network as a whole performs clinically and financially. A key part of that positioning is that this is about the care that you want to give and receive. And population health, when it is working at its best, really at the patient level just looks like a, a uh, practice and providers that are highly engaged in my health and my health goals. And uh, you, you want to call it value-based care, you want to call it risk-based contracting, you want to call it accountability, population health, whatever you want to call it, to the patient, the words that they use when they're describing what we do, they're describing it as a differentiator as um, proactive preventive care that is got me in mind. And so, you know, I think what we do in on the B2B side, what we do on the back end might be kind of wonky and, you know, what do we have the right codes and, you know, is the right level of practitioner, seeing the patient, all of that stuff is at play. But when the team's working together, that patient is experiencing really great care and they're getting the care that they need by the by the providers that they trust the most. So um, we don't need to talk to them about value based care. We need to talk to them about the individual care that they need. And they'll feel the difference, right? And so I think about a recent example. We had the opportunity um, to interview a patient that was um, managing a new diabetes diagnosis, which is very overwhelming. Um, had some fears of needles, had seen her grandmother have diabetes and try to manage that. Her primary care provider is part of the network and quickly realized, you know, this patient needs a higher level of, of care and touch points beyond our three-month meeting. So she engaged our network's care management team, which includes pharmacists and social workers and nurse care coordinators, um, as well as certified diabetes educators who were able to connect with her in person and telephonically and virtually in between those three-month checkups. And they got to know her and, and got to know some of those social determinants that were impacting her ability to get better. So helping with um, cheaper medications that she could afford, finding a routine that actually met her lifestyle, and then helping to discover her why. Why did she want to get better and be better, you know, and it, it, she had a family and grandkids that she wanted to be able to run around in the front yard with. That was her why. And when we interviewed the patient, actually, Megan was there. We did a video. Um, I mean, it was so heartwarming. And she said, I felt like 
I was the only patient they had. She said, I, I knew I wasn't, but they made me feel so important. They cared about me as a person and the things that I cared about. And it actually, their level of care made me want to do better. And that type of experience, they didn't think Vanderbilt Health Affiliated Network or primary care, all this. They just knew somebody cared about them as an individual. And, and it was just such a fascinating story. And I don't think we wouldn't want... I don't think we would, we wouldn't want the patient to think that any of this is being done for anything other than their health, right? And that's really what motivates all these changes. But there are upstream things that, you know, are kind of kicking those changes into higher gear. And so, you know, yes, we're getting some better reimbursement from this. Yes, you know, we're getting some extra resources because we've committed ourselves to this. But ultimately, you know, it's all in pursuit of just a higher level of patient care. And, you know, we really, that's what we would want the patient to understand from this is that it's all these teams working together for them. That's really meaningful work. And I bet stories like that make it even more rewarding and, and joyful for your team too. One of the things that I think our listeners are probably curious about, I think most healthcare marketing professionals probably think of the UMC and My Southern Health and some of the great work that you guys are doing on the consumer side. Can you guys share a little bit more about what the difference is between Van and between Vanderbilt and how marketing plays a role in that, how it's different from the consumer focused teams work? Well, um, I'm glad you asked that because um, we do get a lot of questions about that. So um, the Vanderbilt Health Affiliated Network is a provider-led network that Vanderbilt helped form and found in 2012, but it's actually far greater than the actual footprint of just Vanderbilt. So while Vanderbilt has the lead name and is you know the sole owner of the network, it's a very collaborative um, organization that is comprised of um, a diverse set of independent healthcare organizations across the state of Tennessee and into some of the surrounding states. So Mallory and I actually work on a health system that's larger than Vanderbilt. Um, and, uh, you know, but obviously there are marketing and communications professionals that work within each of those um, healthcare provider organizations as well. So we partner with them on any of the consumer-facing elements that are relevant to, um, to their work. So yeah, VAN is um, across the entire state of Tennessee and into some of the surrounding states. And it really is truly unique because I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with provider networks. Many health systems have created their own networks. Most health systems have networks that are comprised largely of practices that they own and providers that they own. This organization is fiercely independent. We have uh, organizations of all different governance and composition, and we have uh, each of them have, has their own culture, and no one is uh, you know accountable to each other financially like you are when you have owned providers. So the change management work that we're doing, really getting our membership to align to the goals and to align to the key initiatives is a critical part of the success because they really don't have to, right? The skin in the game is that we all want to be part of a high-performing network. 
We all want to improve patient care. We all want to be accountable to a higher level of care. And we all want that to be the dominant way in which healthcare is bought and sold in our in our market. And so I think the goals align us. We often talk about shared goals, um, but shared goals is what aligns the network. Um, and there is not an ownership structure that aligns the network. So we really have to lean on um, very much members seeing the vision and seeing the value. Yeah. And one of the ways that we help do that is we connect with the various MARCOM leaders from the health systems and some of the larger practices that are a part of the network. So over the past several years, we've grown our relationships with those who handle, you know, more traditional marketing and communication functions, as well as those that have a provider engagement and education function. And so being able to connect with them has been really helpful uh, to, to focus and collaborate on the shared goals as a network, but also learn what those systems and practices are doing from a peer sharing and, and learning perspective. That's great. One of the things that I wanted to ask, um, and Eric might have more too, but what do you guys see as being next for Van? I know. Well, I can speak to a little bit to that. And Mallory's got, Mallory and I complement each other pretty well. I tend to focus on growth related initiatives and Mallory tends to focus on quality related initiatives and they are very much symbiotic. So when we are performing well in quality, um, we can perform well in the marketplace. So when we perform, when our network achieves the quality and cost targets and delivers the patient care that we have all um, agreed and committed to creating, then I have a really good product to bring to employers and brokers and insurance companies um, to say, you know, here's Van, we're ready to partner with you to power your solutions. So um, from a growth perspective, the performance that we've been laser focused on, it's bringing lots of new opportunities for growth for Van. So um, we're going to be entering into new contracts with new payers and new contracts with current payers that return more of the savings um, to our members when they perform. And we're really proud of that because, you know, it takes a, a, a quite a bit of time to prove to the marketplace that you can consistently and reliably uh, deliver value. And really, Mallory's work has shown that we can consistently and reliably deliver value and then we should be in a preferred position with the marketplace to get new contracts and new opportunities to share in that value. So that's really exciting. We have shared savings for our members this year that's exponentially larger than it has been in years past. We absolutely will take some credit for that with all the work we've done on the uh, Van Hub with you guys at uh, True North, um, with Care Paths, with the laser focus that we've had on supporting quality and performance, absolutely has resulted in the growth opportunities we have in front of us today. One quick follow on to that you guys responded really, really fast to COVID and provided a ton of great resources to the network. How do you think COVID 19 has either helped you build more relationships with more providers? And how, if at all, do you think it will accelerate that shift towards quality focused initiatives across the state of Tennessee? 
So this is a great question. I actually have another story on this one. We, Megan and I love stories and I'm from West Tennessee. So we're, we're just genuine storytellers, but um, we had a clinic reach out to us when we stood up the COVID uh, content on the hub and said, you know, we have felt so overwhelmed with all of the regulatory and payer changes couldn't keep up with what what was what. And if it wasn't for Van and the COVID content on the hub, we wouldn't have had the latest and greatest information. It's been our single source of truth. And so not only was that super rewarding to hear, I think that we established additional credibility and trust with our network members who now really see this hub as a member exclusive place where they can access content that is for them and by them. And COVID has been a huge driver in that. I mean, when we look at the traffic to the hub, telehealth and the COVID-19 content increased traffic across all pages, not just the COVID content. So once people got on there, they were kind of digging around and saying, oh, you know, these are great resources and this is great stuff that we want to engage with. And I think too, from the from the behind the scenes perspective, because we had to come up with stuff so quickly to meet the demand and the urgency of content, we had to align internally, both our team and the teams we support with coming up with a standardized process for review and approval for getting content on the hub. And before, I think that was something that was honestly going a little bit slowly, but once once it happened, we had to do it fast and we realized hey, we can do this quickly. Now we don't want to lose that momentum. And our and our very own leadership is saying, hey, let's continue this process moving forward. This has been so rewarding. This uh, We uh, really have not let a good crisis go to waste. So um, we have a slogan on our team. We we regularly celebrate lemonade. So we have hashtag lemonade. We, we had a hashtag lemonade um, socially distant uh, happy hour not too long ago to celebrate all the lemonade that we've made out of these lemons of COVID. And um, it truly has been a transformational time for us with the change initiatives that we were really um, just starting to putter along with at the beginning of our fiscal year. So, um, you know, converting to a digital first mindset, we were there, but our business units weren't there. They're there. Uh, you know, thinking um, about how to scale things, thinking about how to measure things. We were there. Our businesses were not there. They're there. Um, podcasts, webinars, you know, those were maybe nice to haves. Now they're must haves. And, uh, you know, we were ready and we were really glad that this, this, um, you know, this situation has, um, moved forward those change initiatives just exponentially. Well, and you can't deny the data, right? So Megan and I sometimes have to work with people who maybe they're hesitant at first, is this going to work? But we would have the data from the hub and say, hey, look at all of this traffic. Folks are downloading this. They're watching the webinars post live event. And the numbers have just been so gratifying that it helped to bring along some of the people who are maybe a little hesitant to say, oh, okay, this is actually working and it's working really well. No one's requested a fax in a while. (laughs) We never did faxes. Let's be clear. We never did faxes, but they were always discussed as a great avenue. Sure. 
No one's asked for a fax. <laughs> <laughs> That's great progress. Yeah, exactly. you mentioned uh, you mentioned the um, the podcast and and Mallory. I saw on your LinkedIn profile you promoted the minivan podcast. Tell us a little bit about what you guys have cooking. Absolutely, uh, minivan podcast just hit the road this week. Super excited about that. So we've we've been thinking about a podcast for a little while now, but you got to have the right opportunity and the right time. And we recently launched our fourth toolkit specific to risk adjustment, coding, and documentation. And fantastic, very important topic connects to network goals and, and provider goals. But the problem is it didn't quite fit our normal webinar approach. How can you distill that much content down to 45 minutes or an hour? And so we thought, hey, this is our perfect opportunity for the podcast. And so Megan is as creative as she is strategic. So she actually helped come up with the minivan name because van, and it's all 30 minutes or less. And we need a little levity in healthcare, right? We, we can have a little fun. And so coding just became the first uh, pilot concept for the podcast. And let me tell you, it has been such a fantastic experience. We have interviewed providers from across the network who have shared not only what's working well in their coding and documentation strategies, but the challenges that they've overcome. And so, so, so often we don't hear, we just hear what's working well, but we never hear where did you start and how did you get from point A to point B? And that's what they've done such a great job um, of doing and just helping connect coding to better patient care and better patient outcomes so that it's not just a check the box experience, but that it's something that actually has an impact. And that's really the purpose of the podcast is to hear from our network, for us to align it to network goals that we're all in pursuit of, but to have more of a narrative kind of conversational approach. And so, yeah, just launched this week. We are super excited about this first series and already have some ideas in the works for the next couple of series. So looking forward to that. And selfishly, no one will call us a V-Han ever again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they know it's the van for they sure. They know van now. So we're just going to embrace it. Yeah. Love it. Love I was going to say um, one last thing um, to your earlier question about you know, how do you move so quickly? And what do you look for in candidates? You know, I think a key part of our secret sauce too, is um, having a team of really great partners. And we consider True North to be part of that. Um, we are not everyone's cup of tea. When you look out in the um, agency and partner space, um, we've had uh, a couple instances where we're moving too fast and we are in need of things that are not, um, that don't have a playbook. And, you know, there are, there are definitely agencies that need a playbook and they need to follow something very linear and very clear. And we, we wiggle around and we bob and weave and, um, not everyone can do that. And we feel really lucky that we, um, have found the right partners that help can help us move quickly on our long and winding path. So um, kudos to you guys. And we have a couple of other folks that all fill in on the skill sets that we don't have enough of in-house. So good job. Thanks, Megan. We, we appreciate the plug. One of the things I will say about you guys, though, is that for everything you expect of your vendors, 
you provide a really good partnership in return, right? Like for everything that you ask, you never you never expect us to just go do it without having enough information or the right people to talk to. So I think we really, really appreciate that because there, there are clients who aren't great partners and you guys definitely are. And we love the challenge at True North and we really, really enjoy working with you guys for that reason. Well, that's great to hear. And I would have to say that that's actually a key priority for us is to have our partners feel like part of the team. And if it, if it's not like that, then um, we're not doing something right. So that's that's definitely a goal of ours is to have you as an extension of our team. Yeah. That's really cool. Eric, any other work-related questions? Nope. I am really interested in the fact that you have a parrot for a pet and that your <laughs> parrot's been around for like, did you say 45 years old? No, she's no, a teenager. Yeah, she's a teenager. She'll live to 45. Yeah, we oh, got a parrot in June. She's eight months old. Um, it was our, it's our quarantine COVID pet. I feel like everyone's making a major purchase and that was ours. Oh, that's um, like next level quarantine <laughs> pet though. I feel like. Well, there is a story behind it. So we had a big storm in Nashville and the next day there was a parakeet in our driveway. Someone's parakeet got out. And so we took the little parakeet and my husband and I just fell in love with this little guy. And then we found the owner and I was just quickly devastated. I didn't know I could be a parrot person, just like I didn't know I could be a sports person. Go Preds. And so then my husband and I were hooked. We had to find um, a parakeet. So we were on vacation with my parents, Pensacola. We found a beautiful, they're called mustached parakeets, which is perfect because my husband has a handlebar mustache. And her name is Darcy June. So she is a true Southern Belle. And Darcy was perfect. It's my favorite character from Pride and Prejudice, my favorite book. But it's also an acronym from a, an Xbox game that my husband plays. He's a gamer. So it just seems really appropriate. And so we are obsessed with this parrot, y'all. I can't make this up. I love it. Does the parrot know any words yet? Um, so not yet, but we did teach her to cheers with a little cocktail. So we have taught her to cheers the glass of the cocktail. Good. <laughs> Good. That's more important. <laughs> yeah. No, Which totally is also great. a COVID sign as well. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So Megan, when you think about kind of the spectrum of things that you can change in COVID, I you know, would put, put acquiring a parrot kind of way up there on the major <laughs> change scale. Anything anything new and exciting in, in your world that you've changed up in this new normal? Oh, um, well, I think the biggest thing that we did was um, we kind of bought impulse bought a boat. That's pretty, that's pretty yeah. good deal. <laughs> we decided great. to become boat people. So um, it was really out of desperation more than anything. Just like, how are we going to be inside all summer, not knowing if pools would be open and if we'd be able to travel at all. So we basically said, well, let's get a boat. So we did. Between your boat and Mallory's parrot, you guys can make one pirate. You guys should get together and <laughs> sail the high seas. That's good. Yeah. We really good, Megan. Yeah. Six, six feet apart. Yes, I know. Unfortunately, the boat's not big enough to have the whole team on it six feet apart. But soon we will have a team boat ride. I think True North's going to come down for that. Yeah, need right. a pontoon. Eric and Jane are, <laughs> Eric can captain the boat. I'm ready. Yeah, houseboat. Well, thank you both very much for joining us today. Anything that we haven't covered or anything you want to add before we part ways? 
my closing message is always the same. Get involved in this work today. Get involved in it when it's still forming and norming, when you can learn as you go, uh, when you have grace and mercy for things that don't work. And because it will not be long before this will be the norm and this will be required and we will all be thought, we will all, you know, need to be experts in this. And so uh, the time to get involved is now. And uh, marketing and communications folks very clearly have a valuable skill set in healthcare transformation, value-based care and population health, undeniably. It's great perspective and we really value and admire what you guys are doing in this space. And uh, thank you so much for taking time to share your perspective with our audience. Thank you guys. Thanks y'all. This was fun. Anytime.